Hello there, it's Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen maggots, colon, good for healing wounds, turns out. Uh, and that is absolutely true. Um, I re-listened to all of our Selects episodes, and I listened to this one, and I'm clearly excited in the episode, but I was just as excited listening to it all these years later, what, five years after we released it. Um, so I hope it excites you. It is grody, but it's also pretty awesome. So enjoy slash prepare to be grossed out. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant and uh, no one. No one else is in here with us yet again because we've graduated to the point where we don't even need a producer. We nope. need somebody who presses record and leaves. Yep. That's it. Because we're pros. Yep. Not P-R-O-S-E, P-R-O-S. <laughs> That's right, we're not, but we are prosaic. Yes, but definitely not P-R-O apostrophe S. Very few things drive me crazier than that, and I know it's stupid and pedantic, uh, but to see like somebody take out a, a huge billboard or something, and so a word has an apostrophe that shouldn't. Oh, like uh, prose. People say like... Like, the, leave it to the prose. And they'll put an apostrophe? Yes. And it's, it's that graphic designer should be, you know... Doctor, half a day's pay, maybe eighty bucks, <laughs> something. <laughs> uh, we want to issue, and you probably would get this from the title of the episode, but we want to issue a, a meal warning. Oh, good thinking, because we've gotten complaints in the past when people are eating and get sick listening to some of these. Uh, yeah, this would do it possibly for some people. I was fine. <laughs> I ate a, a runny yolk egg sandwich while I was White researching rice. this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, it didn't bother me, but I could totally see how it could yes. many people. I also want to say, um, if it comes up, do not go Google image search wound sloth. Well, I just put do not Google image search maggot therapy at all. Okay, sure. But definitely stay away from wound sloth. S-L-O-U-G-H. Yeah. N- wow. Mm-hmm. And definitely don't look at wound sloth while you're eating. Okay, so that's all out of the way. Yes. I predict we're going to be kind of excited about this one. I'm feeling a little pumped about it. Well, we did cover in uh, 10 Bizarre Medical Treatments uh, leech therapy, which mm-hmm. is still being used. And I'm surprised this wasn't in that article, to be honest. I am as well. But this gets its own uh, special deal. And it, Well, it should, actually, because it's a pretty amazing thing. Agreed. Um, we're talking about maggot therapy. Also, great, great band, by the way. Yes, it is. <laughs> they were awesome. So were they really, or is that a no, band name? just kidding. Well, it's well, a band name to end all band names. There probably was a band name that. So there's, it's called maggot therapy, mm-hmm. maggot debridement therapy, larval therapy, or uh, bio... There's another one called, I think, like bio, uh, bio debridement. Sorry. Or therapeutic wound myasis. Yeah. And that's basically all... The all of them, no matter what you call it, no matter how you church it up, it is the <laughs> application of live maggots, fly uh, larvae, yeah. to purposefully to an open wound. Yep. In order to help that wound heal faster. Yeah, and better and cleaner and uh, all yeah. that good stuff. What everything Daft Punk said. Oh yeah. You know. Should we talk about some of the history of this stuff? Uh, let's just say that one more time. Okay. <laughs> maggot debridement therapy 
is taking live maggots and putting them in an open wound on a human being or an animal. It's yeah. used in veterinary medicine as well. Wrapping it up tight. And letting them just eat the dead and dying flesh in that wound. Yeah, while you get your foot tickled. <laughs> okay. I, w- I would be so skeeved out by this. I just wanted to make sure that everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. Right. And goodbye to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> everyone who fainted. Okay, yeah, let's talk about the history, Chuck, because this is um, this is in use today, but it's actually pretty old. Yeah, I mean, it's it's some say it's an even an ancient tradition, uh, like in places like Burma and mm-hmm. Central America with the Mayans. Um, they were smart enough to know that maggots do a pretty good job of consuming human flesh, right? Uh, and can be used for good in that regard. Yeah, at some point, I guess healers noticed, like, yeah. People who had maggots in their wounds tended to have wounds heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, as far as the Western literature goes, that's exactly how um, maggot therapy first finds its way, first crawls into the, the medical literature. Yeah. is from a, a French surgeon named Ambro, Ambrose Paré. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How would you say it? I don't know. I don't speak French. Ambrose Paré. I'll say Pere, even though it doesn't have the little, uh, what is that, an accent agu? Yeah, it's just the E. Right. But he was a 16th century surgeon, and he noticed that um, that people didn't necessarily fall over dead if there was a maggot in the wound. Yeah, he was the first doctor to actually come out and say, you know, I had this patient who had mm-hmm. a big skull wound. Right. And unbeknownst to me, there were maggots in there. I saw them crawling out one day. And even though they ate a lot of bone... Um, the guy was great. He healed. Yeah. Like he lost a hand-sized slab of skull. Yeah. And he lived. And I think it might have something to do with the maggots. Yeah, and he presumably wore a helmet for the rest of his life. Probably. So he had a probably big soft skull there Yeah, I would guess so. Uh, that was followed in uh, what the mid-1700s mm-hmm. by another Frenchie, uh, Baron Dominique Jean Larry. Uh, and he said, you know what? Uh, on this Egyptian expedition, uh, these blue fly maggots are actually doing the right thing and helping us out. Right. So it's almost like these doctors just noticed this. Exactly. And, and it, it meant enough to them that they were like, I should probably write this down. This right. is going to be my great contribution to medical history, the history of science, right? Maggot therapy. Um, so it wasn't until the, uh, I guess, the Civil War that a doctor actually said, I'm going to purposely put maggots in a wound Yes, and see what happens. And that doctor was John Forney Zacharias. He probably didn't tell his patient that. <laughs> uh, I think probably they, he was just like, just bite down on this broomstick right. and look the other way. Do you want to lose your foot or do you want to try something really weird? Well, supposedly in studies, 95% of people, modern patients who are offered this therapy say yes to it. Well, yeah. Because I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it's a last resort, basically. It's not the first thing they offer. Not necessarily. Right. Um, So anyway, Dr. Zacharias, um, he had a great quote. He said, during my service in the hospital at Danville, Virginia, I first used maggots to remove the the decayed tissue in hospital gangrene. And with my eminent satisfaction, in a single day, they would clean a wound much better than any agents we had at our command. I used them afterwards at various places. I am sure I saved many lives by their use, escaped septicemia, and had rapid recoveries. Period. End quote. Pretty great. Yeah. So he was a a huge believer and not just a passive observer like people who came before him. He said, yeah, I put maggots on wounds and it helps. 
That's right. And uh, people experimented with it for a little while until um, a guy named Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch came along, uh, microbiologists and germ theorists that basically said, you know, this this is disgusting. We might want to not do this. Yeah, because maggots they're are dirty. dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. Maggots naturally in the wild carry lots of pathogens with them that um, can infect us in other ways, can make a wound worse, can actually kill you. So this the idea behind germ theory, as far as maggots go, is right. Yeah. But um, it seems like there's this long history of necessity and disgust right. with maggot therapy. That kind of wanes, ebbs and flows. Right. And necessity rears its head on the battlefield. It did in the Civil War, and it also did in World War One. There was a, a surgeon um, named... Uh, William S. Bayer, mm-hmm. and he was working on the front lines in France, and he used maggots on stomach wounds and open fractures. Gah. Yes. And he found to his great satisfaction, just like Dr. Zacharias and the others before him, that this stuff actually worked. Yeah, and he actually <laughs> said, you know what, I have some further advancements. Um, maybe we should put a bandage over this thing so it doesn't completely disgust the patient. Right. Uh, and let me um, put bandages around the wound so they don't start creeping onto the healthy flesh and doing damage or just itching you or creeping you out further. Right, exactly, Um, which are still in use today, these techniques. He also pioneered another huge technique, and this is after the war was over, 10 years later, Yeah, when he was back at Johns Hopkins. Um, He he pioneered another really important technique, and that was using sterilized um, maggots, like germ-free yeah. maggots. They yeah. were raised as eggs in a sterile environment. And so when they were introduced to the wounds, they weren't carrying these pathogens anymore. And he found this is the jackpot. Now you can use maggots from now on. That's right. And there was a big boom uh, in the 30s uh, up until the mid-1940s. Uh, 300, more than 300 American hospitals uh, were using uh, maggot treatment, maggot therapy. And then in 1944, uh, antiseptics came along, or, you know, new antiseptics, and they said, you know what, maybe there was another lull in the use of maggot therapy. Right, necessity didn't, That's right. didn't spur this stuff, and it was, they went back to just being gross again. There was a guy, um, who by the 80s wrote what, what this one article calls the majority opinion. Fortunately, maggot therapy is now relegated to a historical backwater of interest more for its bizarre nature than its effect on the course of medical science, a therapy the demise of which no one is likely to mourn. <laughs> That's just that kind of Western medicine yeah. hubris. Sure. We're like, we can do anything except everything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, that's right. And in the 1990s, um, a dude named Ronald Sherman and Edward Pector, uh, basically championed the technique again and kind of brought it into the modern age. Yeah. And, and still very much is, um, Ronald Sherman is one of the first, I think, to receive a, a license to produce sterile maggots for use as medical devices. Um, and there's another guy over in uh, the UK named John Church, um, who uh, st- who brought the maggot ther- maggot therapy into the fore. So it it was an ancient thing. It was it's found to be disgusting. It's yeah. found to be useful. It's found to be disgusting. It's, it's found ways you can make it better. Yeah. It's found to be disgusting, and then now that this idea of complementary medicine is is kind of regaining some traction again. Yeah. Um, I think it's here to stay, though. I think so too. 
I unless really someone do. comes along in 10 years and says, nah, you know what, it's disgusting. Well, you know, the Chuck, I mean, probably what we're seeing is the next thing that'll happen is there'll be some huge leap, some huge development in science, and science will get its hackles up again and right, feel right. great about itself, and we don't need any of that stupid nastiness, and yeah. then we'll find that, nope. You still can't beat good old-fashioned maggots. And that's that should be the title of this thing. You can't beat good old-fashioned maggots for healing a wound that won't heal otherwise. That's a great title. So you want to take a break? Uh, yeah, let's do it. And we'll go um, treat our own wounds, and we'll be back shortly. Let's talk about diabetes for a second. Yeah. Uh, more than 23 million Americans are uh, affected with diabetes. And one thing that can happen uh, is nerve damage, especially in the uh, extremities, yeah. the hands and feet and the toes and the, and the fingers. Uh, your blood vessels become hard and uh, they don't circulate the blood like you need. That can lead to uh, open sores called ulcers, yeah. which can become infections, which can spread to nearby bone, which can lead to amputation. Yeah, and all, happens of this, a lot. all this is just from a prolonged exposure to high levels of blood sugar, and they're not sure how it can do it. But yeah, the blood the blood vessel's not helping pump blood very well. You yeah. don't get nutrients, so your tissue can die. But also that neuropathy, that deadened nerve cell, um, that actually makes it hard for you to notice if you have like a really bad ulcer on the bottom of your foot, you can't right. feel it. Yeah. And so you don't get treatment early enough so it can get, an infection can get out of hand. And yeah. when it spreads to bone, that's called osteomyelitis. That's problematic because that very quickly will lead to an amputation. And there's some pretty shocking stats here from this article that Tom wrote. Um, about oh, is this uh, sheave jam? Yeah. Nice. It's yeah, for sure. Um, but about amputations from diabetes. Yeah, 70,000 toe, foot, and leg amputations each year in the United States alone. So crazy. And uh, they say around the world, uh, they estimate every 30 seconds someone gets a limb uh, cut off because of diabetes. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, it really is. And we should, we'll do one on diabetes for sure. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised we haven't already. Yeah, me too. Um, But the, so... Amputation is is used to halt the progress of an infection. Yes, and that's usually the last resort. But what's what Tom points out is that there are plenty of doctors uh, around the world, I imagine, that aren't aware that you can use maggots or have yeah. never done it before. And if you are facing an amputation from, say, like a, a wound, a persistent wound, a chronic wound that won't heal, yeah. Um, you may want to suggest maggots to your doctor. You may have to actually take this, the, the initiative on this one. Yeah. And say, let's make sure that amputation is the absolute last resort. Let's see if we can put one more resort in there before then. I'm willing to let maggots crawl inside my body in this wound, this open wound, if you're willing to apply them. And they, uh, like most doctors, love hearing when patients suggest uh, treatments. Oh, they do. They love feedback. <laughs> they love to be guided in their uh, diagnoses and prognoses. Yeah. Love I, it. That's a tough jam. I get it. 
doctors are frustrated a lot these days with uh, self-diagnosis and online doctoring. Uh, sure. But you should also be your own advocate. We've yes. championed that before. Yeah, it's your leg. Yeah. If you want to keep your leg, you tell that doctor to go get some maggots, you're going to replace him with the doctor who will. <laughs> I, can, I can find a guy. Yeah. I can get a guy by noon that'll put maggots on that wound. And actually, there's a um, there's a group, I think Ronald Sherman, the guy we mentioned earlier, who's like the, the U.S. champion of maggot therapy, um, it's, there's this group called the BTER Foundation, B-T-E-R Foundation. Um, and they have all sorts of resources for people yeah. in that very situation, like how to talk to your doctor. Right. Um, the, if, if your insurance won't cover it, let them know because they say insurance actually, most insurance covers maggot therapy, but most insurance claims people are not aware of that. Yeah. So you may get denied at first, and here's how to talk to your insurance company. That's a great resource. It really is. That beats going to your doctor and saying, well, you know what? Josh and Chuck said, A, you're not going to like hearing this. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you please, think you know it all. <laughs> doctor, please take a seat. <laughs> and B, put maggots on my feet. Right. And and that's the other thing, too. I mean, like, we wouldn't be suggesting this, and the Beter Foundation probably wouldn't be such advocates for it if it didn't work so amazingly well in yeah. study after study and we'll talk about the details of it but there's so many studies out there um again sherman who agreed is a, an advocate but in a peer-reviewed journal published a survey of studies that he could find on maggot therapy mm-hmm. and it's very clear that it works really really well yeah and not only necessarily um as a, a means of last resort but even just compared to right the standard of care using like hydrogel or other things that you might use to treat a chronic wound, maggots destroy it. They leave it in the dust. Yeah, and if it doesn't work, it's not going to hurt anything, from what I can tell. Yeah, it just puts off how much longer before they amputate your foot. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, So what will happen is they will, well, let's get into this a little bit. Okay. Um, There are four different, and where did you find this? Was this a, a research paper? Yeah, this is by Ronald Sherman. Uh, mechanisms of maggot-induced wound healing, colon, what do we know and where do we go from here? It was in the journal Evidence-Based Complementary and Alternative Medicine in 2014. That's right. And he describes uh, four different phases of uh, basically healing a wound, um, homeostasis, inflammation, plurifurate. Oh, man, I'm so bad at that one. Plurifurate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Keep it coming. Proliferation. Nice going. And uh, remodeling and maturing, and uh, what happens is the cells get to work, they recruit other cells, they alter their activities, and basically say, let's get to work cleaning and, uh, well, on all four of these stages right, to yeah. help heal the wound. Yeah, and at any any one of those stages, um, the, the next process can stall out. Sure. Um, normally it stalls out at inflammation because the infection gets out of hand and the body can't fight off the infection right. faster than it's laying the extracellular matrix for the new cells yeah. to be rebuilt, the new tissue to regrow. Um, and that's that's a, a common thing that leads to chronic wounds, wounds yeah. that just won't heal. And that's where maggots are really, really useful right. to basically interrupt that stall. Right. And get the car moving again in the right direction. That's exactly right. They kickstart it. Uh, so debridement is uh, removing dead tissue, and that is really where um, maggots excel. Um, they said uh, in here, each maggot can chew. Well, they don't exactly chew, which we'll get to. Right. Uh, they remove 25 milligrams of 
uh, necrotic material, dead flesh, uh, in just 24 hours. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, there's there's actually three ways that maggots clean a wound. But debridement, which is getting in there and, like, just cleaning out, removing, physically removing um, that dead material, that's, like, the key. Yeah. That seems to be the, the key. And then there's also um, antimicrobial activity, like, actually killing the, yeah. the bacteria that's like killing the flesh. Leaving it cleaner than when they came in. Yeah. Which is amazing. And then, even more astounding, stimulating new growth. Like the act, the presence of maggots in your wound yeah. stimulates new tissue growth Crazy. around your skin. It's the most, they're just like wonder creatures. Who knew? <laughs> One of the ways that they uh, remove this dead tissue is just by the nature of what their body is like. Mm-hmm. And they have these little prickly spines all over their body that act as a surgeon's rasp rasper or filewood it basically just the fact that they're moving around on the wound is going to like file the stuff down and scrape the wound yeah which helps loosens it up it's like a plow it burrows through this dying and dead tissue and it just yeah it loosens up that's part one of debridement right part one there's another part of it which is the uh, digestive enzymes that they uh, excrete and secrete it's called alimentary secretions and excretions, ASE. Yeah. And it's basically their digestive juices, right? And they puke these up as they're moving around. And they just, they just puke them everywhere. <laughs> and it, it dissolves this flesh. Yeah, I remember in the Body Farms episode, we, we talked about this. Right. One, one of the old classics. Sure. And that's why I said uh, earlier they don't bite or chew something. They just liquefy it. Right. And then suck it in. And this, this ASE stuff is so greedy that it liquefies more dead flesh than the maggots can even consume. And they consume quite a bit. Like you said, 25 milligrams. That's a lot for a little tiny maggot in yeah. one day. But even more than that, they're liquefying even more of this dead tissue so that part of the process of um, maggot debridement therapy is draining out this liquefied necrotic tissue Ugh. that's become liquefied from the alimentary or the uh, the ASC stuff, Ugh. the digestive enzymes, right? So you've got them burrowing around. You've got them puking into your wound. Yeah, like scraping it up. Yeah, liquefying the dead tissue, yep. leaving pretty much uh, entirely the living tissue alone. And then you just kind of drain out the stuff that's, that's in there. And the reason um, that maggots are considered by the FDA a medical device rather than a drug is because the whole process of debridement isn't just a reaction to the chemicals. It is part of that mechanical movement of the maggots through the wound. Yeah. So it's a drug. It's a device. I mean, it's a device. Well, they are a device. Look at them. Yeah. And those that the secretions are so potent, they have basically DNA destroying qualities. Like, they not only just break down tissue, they destroy the DNA. It's pretty amazing stuff. It is. Should we take another break? Yeah, yeah, I'm a little excited. We probably should. I'm going to go to the vomitorium. Are you grossed out? Uh, Slightly. I am not in the least. What does that say about me? I don't know. You're a, I don't know. You have a stronger stomach. But I don't necessarily. I'm I'm just excited. All right. Well, go watch me vomit at least. Okay. That will gross me out.
All right. Well, that was disgusting. It was. It made me throw up in turn. <laughs> uh, so here's a couple of questions. Um, does it hurt? Maybe a little bit at first. Yeah. I don't get the feeling that it's extremely painful. It probably depends on the wound. Um, but it can, the first few treatments can apparently be a little bit painful. Right. And there's, there's actually two mechanisms for the pain. One is that Drugs. you have an open wound, right? Yes. And you, you have maggots crawling over the exposed nerves in your open wound. That's not going to feel good. No, it won't. Uh, and then number two, pressure in the wound can increase as the maggots get bigger from eating so much dead flesh. That's right. So yes, the the, the cure to that is painkillers, which frankly, yeah. if you have an open wound with exposed nerves, yeah. you should probably be on those anyway. Sure, you will be. So it, it probably won't hurt because there'll be some sort of pain management going on, but you will still feel, most likely, unless the doctor completely numbs the area, maggots crawling around inside the wound. See, that's what that's the part that gets me is actually thinking about undergoing this therapy myself is what gets me. Yeah. Not like seeing it or reading about it, but thinking about having an open wound on the bottom of my foot mm. and having maggots creeping around in there. See, the thing is is I think anybody would feel that way. I sure. think there's very few, including myself. I'm not grossed out by this, but I wouldn't want maggots well, crawling yeah. around in my open wound. But I think if your back's against the wall, uh, and oh, it's sure. That or you lose your foot? I'd try it. I would definitely try it. I think Absolutely. 95% of people would, apparently. And man, and I would demand some high-quality drugs. Yeah. And they, they also have, um, oh, what is it called? Amnesiotics. To make you forget about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> so you can't form memories while it's happening. Yeah. So maybe that would be a nice thing to do, too. Uh, so the other question is, can you just use any kind of maggot? And the answer is No. Uh, what they found is the most useful is the the larva of the green blowfly. And like uh, we said earlier, these things are now grown, uh, just sort of like the medical leeches. They're shipped in sterile containers right. uh, as if it were medicine, even though it's a device. And the, the BTER um, Foundation, they go into a lot about this, like, could anybody do this? And they say, well, no, because you need a prescription. It's an FDA-controlled medical device. Like, can you do it yourself? Device. But they Not say anybody who can read, can basically <laughs> follow the instructions on the package. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't advise that as your non-doctor. Sure, I'm not saying that either. Sure. But I mean, this may be your doctor's first time, too. Their, the, yeah, their point was, is it's not, it's not difficult. It, just follow the instructions on the package. What if you went into your doctor, though, he got the maggots out, and he put on his bifocals and was like, all right, let's see how to do this. Right. Or, like, he, he tears the package open, they go everywhere. <laughs> you have, like, Jerry Lewis as a doctor. Uh, oh, but although they do say um, you can't just load it up with maggots. There should be no more than eight maggots per square centimeter. Yeah, I saw five to eight. And so when you have the maggots applied to your... Um, wound. They're going to make sure that the the healthy area around the wound is covered up so the maggots can't get to it. Which goes back to World War II. Yeah. They're going to cover it, cover up the wound after they apply the maggots, five to eight per square centimeter, like you say. And they're going to cover it up so they can't wander off because maggots like to leave before their work is done. Sure. They want to um, have some TV. They're full. Pretty much. Um, but they can still eat more if you'll keep them in there. Yeah. So they they will cover up, they'll put the maggots in, five to eight, cover it up with this bandage, and basically they will just sit there and eat for between 48 and 72 hours. And then the bandage will be removed. The maggots will then, sadly, be incinerated or put into an autoclave. That's sad. Or 
put into a plasma gasifier. Or bronzed and hung on your wall. For, for real. Like an ant farm. Yeah, because it's like, thank you for this great contribution to m- saving my foot. Yeah. Now go be autoclaved to death. I would name them and save them and preserve them. Sure. Um, you'd be violating, I'm sure, all sorts of medical waste laws, but. <laughs> Who cares? And so, and then that's, that's what's called a treatment cycle. And most patients, uh, supposedly go between two and four treatment cycles. And again, while this is happening, what's going on is the maggots are debriding the dead flesh, they're liquefying it, they're eating it, and they're also disinfecting it and stimulating growth, right? Pretty amazing. So with the with this with the disinfecting, they figured that there was some sort of gut flora that the maggots have that prevents them from being infected by microbial Yeah, life. that would make sense because they're in that rotting flesh as well and they're thriving. Right. So what gives? Well, right. it turns out that there are a couple of um, types of, uh, I'm not quite sure what, what kind of um, bacteria they are, but they are, oh, that's not true. The uh, Proteus mirabilis is a type of uh, symbiotic microbe that you find in the gut of a maggot, right? Yeah. And this thing just it destroys microbial life. So it's killing the bacteria that's causing this infection in your wound. But there's something that, that maggots, this is yet another thing. So think about it, Chuck, like you said. Maggots, the very structure of a maggot body debrides the, the wound. That's Pretty right. Pretty amazing. This maggot antimicrobial stuff, not only does it kill microbes, it destroys the thing that naturally protects microbes, which is called biofilm. Yeah, we've talked about biofilm a lot on this show, and um, it's basically a, it's basically a, a film like a literal film, like a they call it a polymeric matrix, but the easiest way to say it in layman's term is it's a film. Right, it's like a protective coating. Yeah, and the, the little spiny bodies, like one way they get rid of this thing is by roughing it up, right. and that's exactly what the little bodies do. Right, and that's part of surgical debridement with like a um, like going in there and scrubbing a wound um, with, I don't know, steel wool or something like that. Yeah. That will break up the biofilm. It also must be awfully painful, right? Maggots naturally can destroy not just the bacteria, but also the biofilm that protects it too, which makes them extremely handy with things like uh, MRSA and other antibiotic-resistant um, bacteria. And all kinds of ulcers. Right. Not like internal ulcers, but the open wound kind. Right, exactly. From diabetes, from bed sores. Um, and there's been a lot of studies of people with bed sores that have found that maggots help those kind of ulcers tremendously. So uh, let's talk about this one study, or a couple of studies, actually. Um, there was one study of spinal cord injury patients that had uh, non-healing uh, ulcers, which is the problem. Uh, they monitored them over three to four weeks, um, and they were getting regular wound care at the same time. Like, sometimes it's used in conjunction. I think usually is used in conjunction with, like, standard care. Sure. Uh, and they found that... Uh, after three to four weeks of maggot therapy, tissue quality and wound size were assessed weekly, and they found that uh, debridement was achieved in less than 14 days, an average of 10 days, and none of the control group wounds were more than 50% debrided after a month. A month. Not even half debrided. None of the wounds, not half the wounds were debrided. None of the wounds were even half debrided after a month, Chuck. Of the control group. Yes. Amazing. Where they didn't use the maggots. Yep. It, that, yes, that's... That's objectively amazing. It is. And then they did a larger clinical trial and found uh, 
This time they got 263 subjects, which is pretty good yeah. for this kind of rare treatment. For sure. Uh, and they found that um, using the hydrogel, which you mentioned earlier, compression dressings, uh, just the standard care. Right. Uh, that was the control. Yeah, that's obviously the control. They um, It differed significantly between the three groups. Um, what was the third group? The third group used bio bags, which are like, oh, yeah. it's like a little pouch. You said it was like a ravioli. Yeah, and, and it's filled with live maggots, but it prevents them from burrowing. All yeah. it is is using their chemical secretions. Yeah, I don't, that to me is just like, why go halfway? Right, exactly. Just well, a lot of people are like, open. I don't want a maggot crawling in my wound. Uh, but a bag of them is fine. Doing the shake, shake near my wound. Right. So um, it, it actually has been shown to be not nearly as effective as just letting what's called free-range maggots burrow through sure. the, the wound. So they found the median time for debridement was 14 days with free-range, uh, 28 days with the bagged ravioli, <laughs> and 72 days for the control. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think it should be a last resort. You know? I, I agree, and I think that increasingly it's becoming less and less of a last resort because, uh, I mean, you can compare it to the control. Like, the, the standard of care took 72 days for the wound to be debrided. Free-range maggots, 14 days. That, to me, says that free-range maggots top the standard of care as it stands right now. Yeah. But, like you say, there's a lot of people who are saying, this is just a last resort. The next thing we're going to do is amputate your foot, but let's try this one last time. Right. Or in the case of persistent infections from, like, MRSA, where just antibiotics just don't work, let's let's try maggots and see if we can fix it. And maggots do work. There was a study that found that of 13 people treated who had MRSA, treated with maggots alone, 12 of the 13 had complete recovery yeah. and wound healing um, from a MRSA infection. MRSA's nasty stuff, too. Yeah, I think, did we do one on MRSA? I feel like we did. Uh, I know we've talked about it. I don't know if it got its own show, though. It may have been in the Should We Outlaw Antibacterial Soap episode. Boy, there's been a lot of them. Almost 800. Uh, you got anything else? Surely I do, but I guess not. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, we, there was one other thing. We kept kind of teasing it. It, it actually stimulates growth. A, a couple of studies have found that the presence of maggots um, produce more blood vessel redevelopment and tissue redevelopment than maggots not being present. So something about them actually stimulates tissue growth and blood vessel growth, which promotes wound healing even more. Up with maggots. Up with maggots indeed, man. I love them. I'm so psyched about maggots right now. Well, it definitely changes the way you think about them. Like next time you see a, a dead squirrel that you've killed right. off You're your like, porch. Oh, they're, they're <laughs> clearly trying to bring it back to life. Yeah, and you see the maggots, you, can, you don't think that's disgusting. You just think those are little things doing their thing. Doing their thing. Little things doing their thing. Now I'm going to autoclave them. That's right. Uh, if you want to know more about maggot therapy, you can type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, since I said search bar, it's time for listener uh, I'm going to call this taking the task somewhat Uh-oh. over a term. Uh, guys, I want to say you're my favorite podcast by far. Been listening since you were uh, just little five-minute blurbs. Oh, man. You sure have grown up. I've never written in before, but felt I had to comment on Josh's statement that climate change was, or global warming was, settled science. 
Uh, no, I'm not disputing the data that shows an increase in global temperatures. Uh, while you can certainly argue its accuracy, especially for older data, it's still just data. It's not science. Uh, the part that gets me upset about the term settled science is that by definition, science is never settled. And that's in all caps. I think we talked a lot about this as a scientific method episode. You guys actually did a podcast on the scientific method, so you should know that at best, you can show a particular theory supported by existing data and not uh, contradicted by anything we know of at the time. Uh, but there's a reason that ultra-successful theories like Newton's theory of gravity, Einstein's theory of relativity, uh, are still theories. Uh, they could be completely discredited by a single piece of data contradicting them. So the whole idea of taking a body of fact saying it's settled is far more a political concept than scientific one. Uh, while people with various viewpoints in the subject would like to have some place to plant their uh, ideological flag, saying something is indisputably true as opposed to probably false is simply not something science and the scientific method is equipped to do. In short, science is never settled. You cannot simply say this is true. Move on. That's not how it works. And that is from Spencer Carpenter right here in our own Smyrna, Georgia. No, we're not in Smyrna. Well, I mean, it's it's nearby. It's so a suburb of Atlanta. what I just did is what Spencer just did. Spencer, I was using a literary device. I was actually using the same type of argument that science, that non-science climate deniers use against scientists. I was basically saying, like, it's done. Drop it. There's right. enough science there to say you're 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 wrong. Let's move on and just right. all accept that climate science is going. So lay off. So that was a clever ruse. It wasn't a ruse <laughs> at all. It was um. It was just I was not being literal, like okay. apparently, which is what Spencer deals in literal terms. <laughs> Uh, if you want to take us to task because you are overly literal, we want to hear from you. Uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.